Welcome to Grace, everybody. I am so glad you're here for the beginning of a brand new series. Today, the title of the message is We Found Love. It's Rihanna's hit song, top the charts for 10 weeks. It was a success all around the world. It's about a couple that find love in a hopeless place. Matter of fact, the chorus just keeps saying over and over and over again, we found love in a hopeless place. We found love in a hopeless place. And even though the message of Ruth isn't just about finding love or romantic love, it is about finding hope for all of us. How do you find it? Where do you find it? What kicks it off in our life? That's what we're after. Finding love. There's a line in the song, Rihanna's song, that says this, shine a light through an open door. That's Ruth. Ruth wants to, this book in the Bible, wants to shine this light, this warmth of the light of God on you, on me, and on our world. How does that happen? That's what this entire series is all about. What we read in Ruth is that tragedy strikes. It doesn't strike once, doesn't strike twice. It strikes three different times. Tragedy. Now, today is September 11th. That's a day that we just tend to remember. I mean, that just rings in our ears. I would say probably most of us, at least everybody I've ever talked to said, I know exactly where I was when I first heard about what was happening on September 11th or when I first saw the images. I know I do. I know when I first got that phone call and said, hey, the Twin Towers have been hit. One of the towers has been hit. I know when I first saw the images on the TV screen of the towers collapsing because it was so tragic. It was so sad. It just burned into our brains of this moment. That's the way the book of Ruth begins with a tragedy. I want to read to you Ruth chapter one, verse number one. It's actually very important. This is what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, that's a big tip off right there. The judges ruled. There was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Did you notice? Nobody was given a name in verse number one. Judges, the book of Judges, in the days of the Judges, the book of Judges, which immediately precedes the book of Ruth, is about the collapse of society. It's about the disintegration. It's like the Twin Towers collapsing and becoming rubble and ash. That is what society does in the book of Judges. And as you get to the end, it's a sickening story. There's a lot of sickening stories in Judges, but the last one is super sickening, super sad. It's disgusting. And it's the total collapse of society. We have to understand what is going on, at least in a general sense, in the book of Judges to really get the power of the book of Ruth. Now, this book, the book of Ruth, was read on every Shuvaot. Now, I put it on the screen there for you, the word, but how you pronounce it is Shuvaot. What is that? It's the celebration of the giving of the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. Jesus says in Luke 24, when he goes to explain exactly who he was, this is after his resurrection, it says he starts with the law, the first five books of the Bible, to explain who he was. The Torah are the first five books. Some people call it the Pentateuch, okay? But it's the first five books. And when they celebrated the giving of those first five books of the Bible, when God came down on Mount Sinai, what they would do every year to celebrate, still celebrated to this day, everybody, is they would read the book of Ruth, four chapters of Ruth, and they would read the Ten Commandments to represent all the law. Now, 
Why is that so important? Because we can understand the entire Bible, the first five books. And here's something that has always helped me. You have the first five books of the Bible, and then every book after that is a commentary on those first five books. Probably why Jesus said, I'm going to explain to you who I am, starting with the first five books, starting with the law, okay? So we can understand it. We can get clarity. So many people say to me, hey, John, where do I, I really want to understand the Bible better. Where do I start? Oh, John, I've never actually opened a Bible and read it. Where should I start? It's a big book with lots of books inside, like a library book. Where do I start? Well, the book of Ruth is actually an excellent place to start because it's through that that we get an understanding of the entirety of the Bible. Now, many of us have seen these images between the Hubble, which went into space many years ago, and the recent Webb telescope. And I'm putting them up on the screen for you now. You see how the clarity, how the web is so much better, so much clearer. The Hubble was awesome when it came out, but later on we get the web and it's so much clearer. That's Ruth. Ruth is going to give you and I a lot more clarity. So the Bible says it proclaims itself to be powerful, to be inspiring, to energize us spiritually, to give us hope. But for many of us, we read it, me included. I read it sometimes. I'm like, okay, all right. Where's the hope? Where's the inspiration? And then just sometimes it just really frustrates me. But when we get clarity and understanding on what we are reading, that's when the life comes in. That's when the hope comes in. And that's why we have Ruth. So we can get clarity on correctly understanding, interpreting, and rightly dividing the Bible. I want to give you a story. Many years ago, when Krista and I first got married, uh, there was a medicine cabinet that she bought and she wanted me to put up in our tiny little bathroom. And I read the instructions and I put this cabinet up on the wall. And so here's the wall hanging here. And I hang the cabinet like this and I hang it up there. Now, I'm not very good with stuff like this, but I hang the cabinet according to the instructions. And I say, Krista, something's wrong. And she comes in and the cabinet was hanging like this, like this away from the wall. I'm saying, this is ridiculous. I was so upset. This is ridiculous. They totally messed up. And she looks at the instructions. She said, you read it upside down. Not that I read the instructions upside down, but I placed it on the hooks upside down. And I was frustrated. But why was I frustrated? I misinterpreted the instructions. That's the Bible. If we correctly understand it, that's why we have the book of Ruth. We will, we will just find the hope and the power that the Bible says it has for us, filling our lives. That's what this whole series is about for the next eight weeks. We're going to get a clarity so we can grab our bearings about the entirety of God's Word. Okay, so to understand Ruth, so we can give us clarity on the whole Bible, let's just grab just an overall understanding of what's happening in Judges. At the end of Judges, which leads straight into Ruth, what is going on? I'll tell you three important things about the book of Judges. Throughout Judges, there are no, there's no king. So it's like just everybody is doing what they want. There's no food. Like there's food, but there's a shortage of food. Food's a big issue. And here's the third thing that you really have to know because it connects to Ruth. There are no names. Everybody is dehumanized. Everybody is anonymous. So when you read in Ruth 1, 1, the verse number 1, I just read a second ago, and it says this no-name man 
and his no-name wife and his no-name sons, you're like, uh-oh, it's the book of Judges all over. Of course, it just told you, in the time of Judges, and then all these no-name people. And then in verse number two, all of a sudden, you're given all these names. That's the importance of letting you know that we are going to begin to reverse the anarchy and the hopelessness that you find in Judges. Now, let me tell you the last story in the book of Judges. It is disgusting. I will warn you. Okay, so this no-name Levite, they're the priest, okay, this no-name priest and his no-name concubine, terrible to be a concubine, you're a total object, you're just used for sex, you're not a wife, you're just used for sex. She lives with, she lives with him, right, providing whatever he wants, okay, she runs away, why wouldn't she, and she goes back to Bethlehem, that is where the book of Ruth is located, she goes back to Bethlehem, and this no-name priest goes to get his no-name concubine, and he says he speaks to her heart, and he says to the concubine's father, please let her come with me, and eventually he goes, and they're traveling back to where he is from, and they stop for the night, and an older man, when they stop for the night, comes to him and says, hey, you shouldn't stay in this town square. It's dangerous. Come and stay with me. He's like, okay, great. And so he goes to stay with him. And there in the middle of the night, all of the men from the city start banging on the door and say, send out that priest, that no-name priest, that Levite, send him out here. We want to have sex with him. Now, wait a minute. Many of us read that immediately we go to homosexuality. And, 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 and maybe we'll get to that at some point in all of this, but there is, according to the Bible, much more going on than this just being about homosexuality. This is about power. This is about robbery. This is about rape. So I just want to caution you. The Bible itself says that this is not about this issue that we want to always kind of put in that, oh, this is all about homosexuality. Okay. Just that's because that's what the Bible says. So I want to read to you what happens. It is disgusting. It's in Judges 19. It says, the owner of the house went outside, said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my no-name virgin daughter and his no-name concubine. I'll bring them out to you now and you can use them and do whatever you wish. Oh, he's such a good man. But as for this man, don't do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man, the Levite, the priest, took his no-name concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her all throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way... There lay his concubine. He's sleeping soundly all night. She's being raped all night, okay? So he steps out to continue on his way, and there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his no-name concubine limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them to all the areas of Israel. Is that disgusting or what? Now, here's what's really important to say. The Bible is saying this is horrible. This is a society gone completely wrong and disgusting. 
You know, I was listening to a uh, podcast the other day. Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson has a podcast. He had a guest on, Bill Maher. And one of the things that Bill Maher, very bright guy, very smart guy, was saying is, is that the Bible is so ridiculous. It's so wrong. Why couldn't in all the words of the Bible ever find an opportunity to say slavery is wrong? I'm condemning slavery. Here is what's interesting. The Bible from its very first chapter condemns slavery and it does it all the way through the Bible. You just got to know what literature you're reading. You just got to understand what literature you're reading. It was written in a certain time. And so actually, if you knew what you were reading and you knew the language you were reading, you would understand that it's shouting that's wrong. Same thing with Judges 19. It is saying concubine, wrong. Rape, wrong. The no name treating people like objects, wrong, 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 wrong. And what is Ruth chapter one? Verse number one, it's no names. But verse number two, there's names everywhere. And then Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. All of, why does it keep doing that? Why does it keep saying it? Because it says this is the anti-judges. How are we going to turn all the mess around? Everybody, we complain about our country. We complain about our families. We complain about all kinds of stuff. But how is all of it going to get turned around? That is the book of Ruth. And it all gets turned around on one word. What is that word? Let me read to you from Psalm chapter 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Do you feel like that right now? Or have you ever felt that way? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But here's the turning point. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That word in Hebrew right there is the turning point. It is the same word that is used in another Psalm by King David. There's a turning point where things are really bad and it turns and things get a lot better. Same word is used in Lamentations chapter three. The whole world is coming unglued in Lamentations chapter three. And then verse 21 says this, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Why? What have you remembered and gave you hope? Here it is. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, same Hebrew word, it's the word that is in the very fabric of the book of Ruth that is in Psalm 13, Psalm 69, and here in Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What is that word? Hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. It means loving kindness. It means loyal devotion. It means unfailing love. It means unexpected love, committed love. It will not turn back. It is the turning point in the Bible over and over and over again. And it is what the entire book of Ruth is about. And this is how we understand what the entire Bible is about. Everybody, the Bible has the power to change my life and your life, our country, our world. But we have to correctly understand it. And that is why we have the book of Ruth. Okay, everybody, really important. What is God's mission in the world? What is the purpose of the Bible? What is the focal point of the Bible? How do we understand this great big book? God boils it down for us in four chapters in the book of Ruth and gives us clarity. The mission of God in this world is this one word, hesed. It defines the very character of God, loving and loyal devotion. 
Hesed is what changes the world. Hesed will change your life and my life. It'll change our family. It'll change our friends. It'll change our community. It'll change our church. It'll change our country. Hesed is the answer. That is what we turn to, to turn things around because that's what God turns to and that's what the Bible turns to, to show us here is how you turn all the atrocities of the book of Judges around. You don't turn around any other way. You turn them around through Hesed. And here's the thing about Hesed in the book of Ruth, and this is super important. Hesed is contagious. And Ruth, the Moabitess, the least likely of all people to be infected with Hesed, is thoroughly infected with Hesed. So as I said, Ruth, the book of Ruth begins with a tragedy. It actually begins with three tragedies. Naomi's husband dies, Ruth's husband dies, and Orpah's husband dies. Triple tragedy. It's a terrible situation putting these three women in a very, very dangerous and vulnerable place. So what's happening here after this tragedy of Elimelech and his two sons dying is Naomi heads back with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. They get halfway there on their journey back and Naomi implores them to turn back. Now, it seems like she's doing it for their benefit, but there's ambiguity there in the text. Maybe she's just really embarrassed to return with two Moabite women as daughter-in-laws. She would be embarrassed by that. So maybe she's doing it for noble reasons. Maybe she's doing it for selfish reasons. We're not sure. But she says, go back. Naomi says, go back. And Orpah goes back. But Ruth, who is completely infected with Hesed, says, I will not leave you. And this is what she says. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. That's pure Hesed right there. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That is pure Hesed. That is the characteristic of God, and that's what turns everything around. Now, look how Naomi replies that. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She doesn't say, oh, wow, Ruth, that is so touching. You have changed my life. Why did she not do that? Why did she just stay silent? And as far as we know, they continue on to Bethlehem in total silence. Now, let's keep reading. Very interesting. Verse number 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. We'll talk about why next week. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Oh my goodness. There's nothing more exciting than committing your life to your mother-in-law, to a mother-in-law who is filled with bitterness. That must have been a great thing for Ruth to do. That took some supersonic hesed in order to stick with her mother-in-law. And notice when she comes back, the whole town is stirred up. They all, oh my gosh, this is Naomi. And then Naomi, what does she say? I've come back empty. God's made me empty. No, no, no. I think it was your husband who made the decision to make you empty. But she says, God has made me empty. I went out full. I come back empty. Hello, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, nobody recognizes Ruth, the Moabite is standing there. Nobody says, she's empty. Well, what about, you didn't come back totally empty. You got this daughter-in-law right here. She totally ignores her. It's very dismissive. It's very dismissive what she does. Now, Ruth ends up, they go back, they have no food, they have no money. And what Ruth does is so loving and so kind after her mother-in-law has apparently been very dismissive of her. And she says, to her, I'm going to go out and glean in the fields to get us food. Now, Naomi's going to stay home. She's not going to go out and glean in the field. She's not going to scrap. She, she was this wealthy woman when she left Bethlehem. And Ruth is willing to die to herself to protect her mother-in-law, her bitter mother-in-law's image. And I'll go out to the field. And she just so happens to go to a field of a relative. And his name is Boaz. And she gleans in the field and she comes back with all this food. And Naomi's like, oh my gosh, you got flu. So the Whole harvest season, she keeps bringing food, bringing food, bringing food. And then it says at the beginning of Ruth chapter three, that the harvest is ending. And now Naomi says, uh-oh, we're going to have to do something. I want to read this to you. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Let me stop right there. The threshing floor, right? There's celebration. There's drinking. People have money because it's the end of the harvest season. And it's a sexually charged scene. Okay? So so, so the mother-in-law tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do next. What in the world is the mother-in-law Naomi doing to Ruth the Moabitess? We're going to get into it here shortly, not today, but in future weeks. Who were the Moabites? They came from Lot and an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughter. When the daughter helped Lot to get drunk and he lies down, that's where the Moabites come from. What is Naomi doing? She's saying, go and do what Moabites do. She is objectifying her. And if you read it in the original language of ancient Hebrew, you get the understanding. There's some ambiguity there, but it's really clear. She's putting her in that exact scene again. She's uncovered the feet. That's a euphemism uncovering something else. He's drinking. Uncover his feet. Lie down. He's going to tell you what to do. Why? Because I need a son. Naomi needs a son. That's her 401k program. So what is Naomi saying? I am willing to sacrifice you, Ruth the Moabite. Do what a Moabite does best. Use your body as an object. Have sex with this man so I can have a future. So I can live on. Again, it is disgusting. The opposite of Hesed is, I am more than willing to sacrifice you for my benefit. Hesed is, I am willing to sacrifice me and put my desires on hold for your benefit. That's Ruth, and that's what turns the whole world around. Okay, so Naomi sends Ruth out like a little lamb amongst the wolves on the threshing floor. But something totally unexpected happens. 
at this sexually charged scene. Like, you totally know what's going to happen. Particularly, you know, the story of Lot and the daughters and the Moabites and where they come from and getting drunk and celebrating and uncovering the feet. You know what's going to happen. Then all of a sudden, something totally unexpected happens. Yes, it happens. And what you have here is Ruth, who is infected with the one thing, everybody, that the whole Bible's about. The one thing that will turn all bad situations around. The one thing. She infects Boaz with Hesed. Now, Boaz is a good man. I want to say this right now. This city is filled with good men. So many men are watching right now. You're a good man. You're a good man. But here, let me tell you about Boaz. Boaz was a good man sitting on his hands. He had never been by to see his relative, Naomi. Never bothered to. Never bothered to do anything. He is responsible, according to the Bible, to care for his relatives. And here you have this wealthy man, this godly man, this good man who was a good man, but he was sitting on his hands and he needed a nudge. And he got that nudge from Ruth the Moabitess, from the most unlikely source. Look, everybody, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you're a man, consider, please consider getting in a men's group. We need guys. I have guys in my life. I've been in the same group for 10 years. I have guys that need to nudge me in the right direction so I can become a better man. You're a good man. You want to become a better man? I don't know any guy that doesn't want to become a better man. Most guys say, man, I just, I just really want to be a good man. I just want to be a better man. Whether they say it or they don't say it, it's inside of them because I don't know any guy that doesn't want to be a good man. But we need a nudge. We need help. It's not going to happen on our own, right? We need a nudge from other good men. I want to encourage you to get in a men's group. So here you got a good man, Boaz. He's sitting on his hands. Finally, he gets the nudge from Ruth. He's infected with Hesed. And he says, okay, okay, Hesed happens here. So instead of them doing what you think they're going to do, they don't. And he goes and he gets the town council, these 10 leaders of the town. And he will get into this in the weeks that follow. But he sets up this beautiful scheme. That scheme's a bad word. He sets up this beautiful plan because it was, you weren't allowed to marry a Moabitess, but he sets it up in such a way, well, such a way that the entire town council comes together and says, yes. And they celebrate the fact that he's marrying the Ruth, the Moabitess. And you remember all those women of the town that welcomed Naomi back and was like, who is this Naomi? She's like, I'm bitter. It says they celebrate Ruth the Moabitess and they say she is better, Ruth the Moabitess, than seven sons. And Boaz and Ruth get married and they have a son and his name is Obed. And Obed has a son and his name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son and his name is King David, the most celebrated king in Israelite history. Why? Because Ruth was infected with Hesed. Hesed is contagious. It started with one person and it just rolled and rolled to the entire town was completely infected with Hesed. Everybody, Hesed is your answer. If your life is falling apart, Hesed is your answer. Be infected with Hesed. We wanna, wanna ask our prayer team today to pray for everybody online that every single one of us will be infected with Hesed. Matter of fact, if you wanna be infected with Hesed, just put it right there in the chat. Infect me with Hesed. Because that's the answer to changing our lives around, our families' lives, our country, our world. God's answer for a world gone wrong is Hesed. Now, I just want one last thing about Hesed I got to tell you. Hesed is not paying for the person behind you at the drive-thru, okay? If you see me behind you, please pay for me. But I just want you to know, that's not Hesed. I want to show you a picture right now of what Hesed is. In Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1996... The KKK was having a rally. 
Now, apparently, there's very few KKK people in Ann Arbor, Michigan, because the crowd that showed up for KKK was very small. But the protesters were huge. And there was yelling and there was screaming. And apparently, one guy with the KKK accidentally wandered in to the anti-KKK people. And when he did, a person on a loudspeaker said, there he is, go get that KKK guy. And an 18-year-old African-American woman named Keisha Thomas ran over and threw her body on top of this man to save his life. Now, that's Hesed. And it was so inspiring, everybody. It was so contagious. It was Time Life's photo of the year. This is what will turn your life around. This is what the whole Bible is about. Welcome to Ruth. Welcome to Hesed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so excited about what you're going to do in these next eight weeks. How you're going to bring hope in hopeless situations. How you're going to turn lives around. How, God, you're going to come in through the power of your character, Hesed, and completely in the next eight weeks, give us clarity about your word and put us on a new course and a better trajectory. I am so excited about what is ahead for each and every one of us. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.